You know, every episode of this show has been a roller coaster ride and a powerful emotional experience for me. Uh, none more so than the episode I recorded with Barry Gibbs. A beautiful, wonderful, warm teddy bear of a man who was wrongfully convicted in, in one of the most egregious cases that any of us have ever seen and exonerated in one of the most amazing twists of fate. You have to listen to his episode to to hear the whole thing. I can't even paraphrase it, but the sad news is Barry died after battling an illness on March 23rd, 2018. Um, Barry, rest in peace, my friend. You're gone, but not forgotten. Now please listen to the incredible Barry Gibbs. I came from a beautiful neighborhood. I had a beautiful life. I went to sleep because September 7th was the first day of my high school year. I was going to be a senior. At 22, I was set to start college. I woke up and my life was never the same again. Cops came out with guns drawn and... I never saw freedom ever ever since after that. It's like Roach Motel. Once you get in, you're not getting out. In 1986, a woman was strangled and her body was dumped from a car on the Bell Parkway in Brooklyn, New York City. In order to protect the known mafia associate who was the real suspect in the case, the detective, Louis Eppolito, coerced two eyewitnesses into changing their story and placing Barry Gibbs at the scene of the crime. Based on this false eyewitness testimony, Barry Gibbs was convicted and served almost two decades in prison before he was exonerated. You guys broke my heart. I made a cemetery plot, a life insurance policy. <laughs> the corrupt cop who was responsible for coercing these eyewitnesses was ultimately convicted of eight murders that he carried out for the mafia. He's currently serving life in prison. To say corrupt is the understatement of all time. Louis Eppolito was working at this point in time for a crime family in New York City. This is Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We have a very special guest today. Actually, we have three very special guests today. The number one is Barry Gibbs. Uh, Barry's an exoneree who served almost two decades in prison for a murder he didn't commit. And his story will uh, rock your world, to say the least. And in addition to having Barry on the show, we have another Barry. We have, we have Barry Times Two today. Barry Sheck, the co-founder of the Innocence Project and a personal hero of mine, is here. And we also have Vanessa Potkin. Vanessa is the newly uh, promoted and, and anointed director of post-conviction litigation for the Innocence Project, and she's been a longtime uh, lawyer with the Innocence Project, long, long-serving lawyer with the Innocence Project. We're thrilled to have both of you, all three of you here on the show today. So welcome. So Barry Gibbs, let's start at the beginning, uh, which is where, where did you, where were you born? Let's start with that. Let's go all the way back. We can go all the way back. I was born in Brooklyn. I was raised in Sheepshead Bay. I worked in a post office. I came from a beautiful neighborhood. I had a beautiful life. Beautiful life. Had a house, had a family, had a car every two years, had a good job. American dream, pretty job. much, right? I mean, yeah. until it wasn't. So you served honorably, you served your country in, in, a, in a war that uh, we won't get into the politics of that war, but the fact is a, a crazy situation for any young man to find himself in. Uh, now you come back. And I, I wind get... up. I wind up. I'm young. I get married. I find a beautiful woman all alone sitting in an office. I was. I was so intimidated by her beauty that it took me a year and a half to get up the courage to just ask her out for a cup of coffee. This sounds very romantic, by the way. I just want you to know. It's, it's the truth. A, I know, but I'm feeling a little misty. It's like in the movies when you get that, you know, foggy thing and you go back in time. Oh. So you finally got the courage up. You asked her. I asked her for you, coffee. You... I, would, I used to deliver mail to her. She'd sit in that office on a dictaphone. I never saw a woman type as quickly as she did, and I was amazed. So you charmed her, and you eventually married her, right? Because otherwise we wouldn't be talking about her right now. Yeah, she was she was a gift from God. She really was. And you married the girl of your dreams. So that's yeah. again, it sounds like a, an American uh, American dream story up until it's not. And I want to get into that because we have we have Barry and Vanessa here, which is really a treat for the show. And I want to talk about your uh, your your Kafka esque journey through the criminal justice system. Um, because yours is, as I was saying to Barry before, it's like the triple crown of malfeasance, right? You had uh, jailhouse snitches, you have uh, uh, police mis- and pr- prosecutorial misconduct, and then you have a situation where they either can't find or won't, or won't turn over the evidence that could have exonerated you long before your two decades in prison. And, and, and it, was, it was a life sentence, 
Was that right? Yes. Yeah, it was a life, to life. For murder. So, um, so let's let's turn it over to, uh, uh, to to the lawyers for a second here. When did you first become aware? And can you give us a little background on how this happened in the first place? Because this should never happen. So basically, in the mid-1980s, a woman from Brooklyn was murdered. Um, she was an African-American woman. She was strangled, and her body was disposed of on the side of a road in the on the Belt Parkway. And there were a couple witnesses who actually saw uh, there. It was a white man who was dumping the body, essentially. And um, so there were two witnesses. There was two witnesses. One was a park police officer. And, who, and the Bell Parkway is a, is a major thoroughfare in Brooklyn, just for people who are around the country who, who don't know the, 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 the geographic. So go ahead. Right. And there was a uh, park police officer who had driven by and saw uh, the person, the perpetrator, getting out of the car. Um, and there was also uh, a guy, uh, Peter Mitchell, a witness who was jogging in the area, who also you know, witnessed kind of the same set of occurrences. Right. And um, so uh, the victim had been strangled. Um, she uh, was later discovered to have hairs on her body. And, you know, there was a lot of evidence later on that we could have done DNA testing on if we would have found to to show who did this. But um, Barry, uh, you know, there was this detective, Louis Eppolito, who wasn't even on duty at the time, you know, wasn't wasn't on shift, but ended up showing up at the crime scene and basically took charge of the investigation. And why did he do that? I mean, that seems very irregular, right? Something's wrong with him. (laughs) Something's wrong with the whole way this case goes down. He sweeps in to take over this case, right? And all of a sudden, it's his case. And he goes and finds Peter Mitchell, and he creates this... Peter Mitchell's the jogger. The jogger. Uh, All of a sudden, this guy is identifying Barry. Uh, uh, He takes care of the whole thing. And why did Barry even come? Where, I mean, he wasn't anywhere near the crime scene. How did his name even come well, into the picture here? We, 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 we now know, right? You see, at the time that we're doing this case, we don't know exactly why Eppolito is doing all these things. And, of course, there's a jailhouse snitch that emerges in all of this. So he goes to trial. He gets convicted. We don't have the DNA evidence. And, frankly, as you know well, Jason, you know, at this time with the Innocence Project, if we couldn't find the biological evidence to to do a DNA test, we had to close the case. Right, because that was was the mission of the the, the charter, basically, of the Innocence Project. Right. We work on DNA cases. Now, of course, this change is afoot, but that's beside the point. Right. So, but we... We, even though we had pretty much established that we couldn't find the hairs and the clothing or anything like this, we just couldn't close the case. <laughs> Which is odd, right? Because by, by, by definition, it's the type of one where you go, well, if it does... should have been closed. So, so what happened was, we're, we, we, he, what Barry is getting emotional about is that we were essentially saying to him, we're going to have to drop this case, right? Uh, but we couldn't. What you did, I'm going to tell you what you did. You broke my heart. <laughs> You really did. You guys broke my heart. I made a cemetery plot, a life insurance policy. (laughs) And then all of a sudden we wake up and in the front page of all the newspapers in New York City. What year? But what year were we in? What year? What year was that? Two thousand four. So this has been going on now for. This is probably been involved for eleven years now. Right? Eleven years. 12, 11, 12 years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So two thousand four. You open the newspaper. Open the newspaper, and there's a story that a former New York City police detective, Louis Eppolito, who was famous in his time because he wrote a book called Mafia Cop, where he described how his 
uh, parents had been, uh, father had been involved in the organized crime, but he hadn't been, and he was a great hero cop, uh, uh, you know, and got a lot of publicity. He was the cop that arrested Barry and took over, suddenly swoops in and takes over this case. So Vanessa and I look at this and we go, oh my God, it's, we got to call them up and say whatever, they had arrested Epolito. Right, that's why the story was in right. the paper. They right. had arrested Epolito and a, a, a Caracapa, another detective with whom he worked, because it was alleged that he had become involved in with uh, the mafia. I remember, re- I remember reading the story. And yeah. he, the two of them had begun doing hits for a crime family, right? And they literally were killing people one after another. You know, this sounds like it's straight out of a Hollywood movie, right? It's, I mean, it's like it's, we have we have guys in blue wearing badges doing hits for the mafia and, in New York City and, in 2000. And it's all true, and yeah. it's crazier than that, Jason, because Louis Epolito, the so-called mafia cop, um, was in the first scene, right, of Goodfellas. Very first scene of Goodfellas. You so see this all is these... like art imitating life, imitating art. Years before he was exposed as being a hitman for the mafia and disgraced, Louis Epolito appeared on Sally Jesse Raphael. What do you do now, Big Lou? Well, I've acted in nine movies. I've been in Goodfellas, State of Grace, Predator 2. I tried writing a screenplay. Gene Hackman has been really like great with me and uh, Mikhail Baryshnikov. And I did a movie with them called Company Business. And I wrote a screenplay, and it was bought by New Line Cinema. And I just finished a second screenplay that is Anthony this, is Quinn... Is this better than policing? Oh, he's getting shot at any day. Yeah. As far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And, and, and meanwhile, if that's not ironic enough, he's also writing a book about he's, how he's not doing what he is exactly is doing, right? So it's like the whole thing is a circle of madness that's... You know, hard to believe. So we write in to the U.S. Attorney's Office and we call them and we say, would you please look into the Barry Gibbs case? Because something's wrong with this case. We've always thought that Barry was innocent, that he was framed. Um, and unbeknownst to us, unbeknown- and they say, yes, we're going to do that. Get ready for this, by the way. There's a good unbeknownst to us, the day that they arrested Epolito in his apartment in Las Vegas, right, they found the original New York City Police Department file on the, on the Barry Gibbs case. I mean, the original one. One of the reasons that we couldn't find a lot of things is that it's unprecedented. You know, he's a cop, he retires, he goes to the police department, and he takes the original file. Well, maybe he took, I mean, is it your theory that he took the file so that it would never get discovered? And then ironically, again, he put it in a place where it could get discovered well, instead of knows? throwing it away. He yeah, but according to was... that, wait a second, according to that, I was sitting in the car with the DA agents. I don't remember their names. I'm not giving you guys up. And I said to them, how many files did you find in the house? And he said three. And I says... Well, I'm on my way down. What happened to the two other files? You know what he said to me? Don't worry about them. Dead career criminals. I said to myself, you got that. I'm not going to say nothing, but I really wanted to say something. Why don't you do your job properly? Well, they did. But I didn't. Let's be be straight about this. So these DEA agents and the U.S. attorneys in the Eastern District, uh, they went out uh, and they started reinvestigating Barry's case. And they went and they talked to Peter Mitchell, 
right? The and jogger. Who's the jogger? The jogger. Right. And Witness. he's living someplace in Queens. And they walk in the door. And he said, I've been waiting, you know, 20 years. I'm getting the chills right now. For somebody to say this to me. And he bursts into tears. And he describes how Epolito threatened him. He himself, uh, Peter Mitchell, had been an Army veteran, right? He had a felony conviction. Um, and Epolitos was threatening him, you know, both physically and to expose him and destroy him. And he brought him into the precinct and he showed him who Barry was. And then they held this ridiculous, bogus lineup. And, uh, uh, you know, he identified Barry Gibbs. So, yeah, he was given basically no option. Yeah. But, I mean, it was a, a and, force. And what about the other uh, witness, Barry, who was the park uh, the park police officer, you said, or park uh, ranger or something? Officer Gentile. He, you know, the crazy thing about him is that nobody, you know, he would have been the most reliable witness, right? He's an officer. He's trained to make identifications. Nobody ever asked him that we know of to look at Barry Gibbs and say, is that the person that you saw? Because, you they know, didn't want to know, they didn't want to know. When you go back and you look at this case, it was really this the framing, is one right? of the, yeah, I mean, this is uh, what makes Barry Gibbs's case extraordinary uh, in one respect is that it was a completely corrupt cop. And to say corrupt is the understatement of all time. Louis Eppolito was working at this point in time for a crime family in New York City. He and Caracappa, I think, were involved in the assassination of 11 people. There's a terrific book written about Louis Eppolito case, and it's called The Good Rat by Jimmy Breslin. You know, perhaps the, the, the greatest, uh, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist uh, that we've ever had in this town. And he talks about Barry's case, but uh, uh, they were running around killing people. You know, and the Lucchese crime family would say, well, why don't you go uh, kill Nicky Guido? And they kill the wrong Nicky Guido. They did? Oh, my God. The right Nicky Guido. They're all contract killings. And so what we have been able to figure out uh, through uh, litigation after uh, Barry was uh, uh, exonerated, uh, essentially through the work of these DEA agents who went out and found Peter Mitchell and, you know, showed that the whole case was a frame up. Um, we now know that the day that the witnesses saw this body of this poor woman being dumped on the Belt Parkway, right, that the description matched somebody that worked at a chop shop um, in Brooklyn. Uh, for, who, I think, who was the, known to the cops. Who was right? known to the cops. So they knew who it was from the beginning. And, the, and, and Eppolito mysteriously shows up. The next day, the next day we found out, um, this guy who was suspected who to meet the description, right, shows up at the police precinct with his hair dyed, because originally they described it as somebody with salt and pepper hair. He shows up with his hair dyed black and a lawyer to talk to Eppolito. Nothing suspicious about that. Which appears in no police reports. No, there's no, there's no reason to take a look at that. It's I wouldn't. Un- <laughs> it, you know, when you look back at this, it's unbelievable. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. So let's go back to the case. So so nine years after Barry's conviction, a Brooklyn judge ordered the state to submit evidence from the case for DNA testing. And then what happens, right? It would seem like at that point, okay, now we got a break, right? Now we're going to get this guy out. Some of the evidence had apparently been destroyed and other items couldn't be found. Can I tell that's their side of the case, but my side of the case is different from that version right there. Okay, let's hear it. Okay. When I was in jail at Rikers Island, six months later, or whatever, I can't remember exactly how many months later, the district attorney wanted me to give hair samples again. My attorney came up to me, and I said to him, I'm not giving it. And he says, why? I says, because I'm being framed. I'm not giving it. He says, listen, Barry, he says, I'm there to represent you. Now, he's a paid attorney. I'm there to represent you. He says, I says, are you going to be there to represent me when they take these hairs and they're they're done together? Like, are you going to be physically right there? He said to me, no. He says, I'm going to be there when they take the hair samples and they heat seal it. And they're going to give the evidence to who? Epolito. The chain of custody really fell off with Epolito himself in terms of having handled the evidence. And it was just MIA. You know, and the funny thing that Barry Gibbs is saying is that, uh, you know, he doesn't even want to give his hairs. Right, because he doesn't trust. Why would he trust anybody? And, you know, from the lawyer's point of view... He's getting, oh, I got this Michigan client, this right. crazy client. He doesn't even want to give up airs. But he's been the and victim going, of one of the greatest frame-ups in the history of New York City. Right? And and what's crazy is that you'd look at him and go, 
you're you're convinced that you're going to be framed and you won't even give your hairs and you're saying that we can't trust the 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 detective to even take them to the crime lab and give it a straight up examination and it turns out Everything he suspects is completely true. Right. And it is a complete frame up. Pretty, pretty the guy is working for the mafia. He is assassinating people. He probably played around with all of this evidence. We can't prove all of that, but we proved a hell of a lot of it. So for it's a postal unreal. worker, for a postal worker, Barry turns out to be a pretty good scientist, huh? I mean, or at least a psychologist. Well, let so me ask. Let I me ask you this also. Me, so. The New York City Crime Lab has faced criticism for its difficulty, han- difficulty is a strange word, for its difficulty handling, I'm going to put that in quotes, and storing evidence. In 2013, the New York City Medical Examiner's Office announced that it had discovered more than 50 cases in which the office failed to upload critical DNA evidence from crime scenes to the state's DNA database, which prevented those samples from being compared to genetic material from con- convicted offenders. This discovery led to the firing of the office's Deputy Director of Quality Assurance, which sounds kind of like a fall guy to me. I mean, the Deputy Director of Quality Assurance, that sounds like somebody who works at, at like a, a, a snack food company or something like that, you know? So, um, so can we... Can you tell me more about that? Because people like to think that these people are doing their jobs. Right? I think the public likes to think that when you have a, 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 you know, a crime lab, that these people are honest. Now, of course, after making a murderer and after the different yeah. things that have come out uh, recently, I think that has generated so much attention that people probably have a little more skeptical view. But even as a lay person before getting involved with the Innocence Project, I thought so too. I thought that these people do their jobs. These are honest actors, right? Number one, uh, what Barry and Vanessa were describing about the search for his evidence, right? Uh, it is true that in the old days, uh, at the time that Barry was convicted, they had a terrible system for keeping track of the evidence. It, it was a mess. And that's not unlike uh, places all across the country. It was a total mess. And they did have (laughs) fires and asbestos and floods. Um, And they did recently after Sandy have a problem. But, you know, uh, having said that, um, we did have a problem for years um, in trying to get a fair search because the evidence custodians really, you know, they were being deliberately indifferent to the need to go look for evidence. Even when people were asking, go find my evidence, a DNA test could prove me innocent, they really weren't trying hard. Right. Uh, now, I do believe uh, that that part of the operation has been professionalized. They have a limb system, uh, you know, sort of like a barcode system, laboratory information. Well, uh, welcome system. to 2016. But yeah, they, haven't got, they haven't gone back completely. No, so there's completely. evidence from decades ago, you know, that's still a mess. So it's still it's still incredibly hard for innocent people today in New York City yes. to get access to evidence to prove their innocence. Right. They, they didn't go back and, and clean and, it up. And it's odd because Barry and I were talking about this before. You know, our clients, I, I, I sometimes think of them, uh, and, and I hope you take this the right way, as some of the luckiest of the unluckiest people on earth, right? Because you can't be unluckier than to have, well, it's tragic, I mean, unlucky is, is an understatement, than to have yourself, found, find yourself in a situation where you're wrongfully convicted, and then 
you know, there's, we know that there's, you know, tens of thousands, uh, maybe more people in, in prison who are innocent. And then for them to be fortunate enough to get the innocence, pro- to have the innocence project take their case and then to have the evidence found, as it was in Barry's case, is really something that could only be described as, uh, uh, you know, a, a half, it's all sort of like a miracle. We're blessed or we're touched. I don't know what it is. You've got to surrender to everything and anything to be at the place I'm at because whatever it is, it's it's unbelievable. In order to move on with your life. Yeah, I, there's angels, there's angels. You don't want to believe it, there's angels. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I want to talk about the misconduct because according to a study done by the Innocence Project in Minnesota, official misconduct, meaning police or prosecutorial misconduct, was a contributing factor in 46% of all DNA exonerations on record since 1989. Police suppressed evidence that might support a defendant's innocence in over one-third of the first 74 exoneration cases. So that's one group that we studied. And 9% of exoneration cases involved allegations of police coercing witnesses into testifying, as was allegedly the case in your trial. Well, we know it was the case in your trial, Barry. So, um, Barry, I know you and I talk about this a lot, and Vanessa, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. The, you know, the prosecutorial misconduct, is this, I mean, is it just blind ambition that drives these prosecutors? And, and how is it, like, it always blows my mind that a prosecutor can be so morally bankrupt that they can be, and ethically, that they can be comfortable and sleep well at night while deliberately, knowingly, 
uh, prosecuting and convicting and sometimes sentencing to death the person who they know to be innocent. Um, but then the other problem uh, is... But that's, see, that's where I would take some issue, right? Here. And that is that I think much of it, uh, the, the misconduct, is something that uh, has been termed noble cause corruption. And that noble is... Noble cause corruption. That's noble cause corruption. Because they actually believe that they're prosecuting a guilty person and then when the uh, exculpatory evidence seems to pop up, right, left and right, because it turns out they're actually prosecuting an innocent person unbeknownst to them, it gets hidden. And that's why it's so important uh, for lawyers uh, to play by the rules. And the, we're talking about prosecutors playing by the rules that even if you think you've got a guilty guy who committed a horrible crime, you still have to play by the rules of our system and disclose exculpatory evidence and and not push witnesses beyond what they really are uh, really saw or heard or want to say uh, that you you have to somehow control you know the the, the kinds of uh, impulses right? impulses to win that you know are so prevalent in the system that's on the one hand on the other hand you need strong defense. You need lawyers that are educated, that are well-funded, uh, um, you know, that are going to do the job. Because unless the defense plays by the rules um, and does its job and exposes the problems in the case, the system implodes. Well, you have, and you have the perfect storm there, right? You have overambitious prosecutors who become blinded by. Uh, by their uh, their belief in, in this noble cause, what do you call it, noble corruption. cause, corruption, or and or their own ambition. And then you have uh, public defenders who may be not up to the task, they may not be qualified, or they may just be overworked. Oh, uh, overwhelmed, and yeah. And overworked, they're, they're, overwhelmed, they're, yeah. They I mean, fight, but yes. some of them are some of them are dealing with a hundred or more cases at a time, right? So they can't possibly uh, devote the type of time that they would need to do to, to mount a robust defense. Um, but the other thing that always you know, boggles my mind is that as a, if a prosecutor does, let's let's assume the worst in this case, and we know there are those cases, right, where prosecutors are just like we got a guy, we're just going to nail him, we're going to get it off yeah. our desk, we're going to close this case, and we're going to move on. We see that, and, and, it's, and, and of course it happens, and sometimes it's noble cause corruption, and sometimes it's that. But in those cases, what I can't understand is wh- how they could con- – well, well, what we know is that when you convict the wrong guy, by definition, you stop looking for the right guy, right? Exactly. And so if a prosecutor is mot- motivated by nothing other than selfish interest, especially in a small community, you got to do the math and say, well, look, if the, if the right guy's still out there, and he's going to go almost invariably or inevitably and go and commit more terrible crimes. It could happen to your own family or somebody you know or somebody you love as a prosecutor I'm talking about, right? So wouldn't you think that as a public servant, if nothing else motivated them to do the right thing, that they would want to get the real perpetrator off the street? And, of course, we know that in many of our cases, I don't know the exact percentage, when the, we've exonerated the innocent guy, we find out that the guilty guy has actually gone and committed terrible crimes against people who never needed to be hurt or, or killed in the first place. Among the DNA exonerations, close to half uh, involve cases where we've been ad- able to identify the person who really committed the crime. 
But in a lot of cases too, it's just you know there really aren't incentives. There need to be more incentives on prosecutors. You know, taking on if they get a case that's brought to them by the police and it doesn't seem right, or they're getting you know some exculpatory information to reinvestigate it and not just to see their job as to go forward with the case that the police brought them and to prosecute it. And you know, right now is the the incentive is to win, not necessarily to reevaluate the case. You know, built into the prosecutor's offices, and just in terms of, you know, how they're evaluated, what's considered to be a successful prosecutor, and in working with some of the conviction integrity units, where you know prosecutors' offices are going back and looking at the cases themselves. You know, we've heard some of from some of the leaders, you know, in this area that, you know, when you're a prosecutor, you completely dehumanize the person who's accused. You know, that's how you do your job. And so it also, I think, takes, an, a, you know, we need a reevaluation in our system. We don't treat people who are coming through the criminal justice system with any sense of humanity. And that allows prosecutors to kind of put blinders on. And, you know, it's not somebody that they can relate to. You're not seeing what the devastation that's happening to the individual, to their family, you know, that is completely missing. From they're the- people, and I think well, sometimes we lose track of that. They're not, they're not, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're not just subjects or or uh, um, people who are accused of something or numbers or whatever. They're they're actual people, and we see that over and over again. And so the conviction review units. This is a relatively new thing. That's it's sort of uh, what been been a thing for about uh, five uh, five to ten years now, right? Well, it really started uh, in earnest uh, in 2007 uh, uh, in Dallas, Texas, uh, when an African-American defense attorney at the age of, in his 30s, was elected district attorney of Dallas. Pretty unlikely scenario all the right. way around. And, and uh, uh, you know, it was uh, kind of a fluke or unexpected. Uh, and he came into office, Craig Watkins, and among the first things that he did is that he created this Conviction Integrity Unit. The Innocence Project actually went to a foundation that got him put up half the money uh, uh, because it was a matching thing of the Dallas City Council and this uh, uh, foundation, the Jet Foundation. And uh, he put in charge of the Conviction Integrity Unit a guy named Mike Ware who came from an innocence organization uh, in Lubbock, Texas. So the Innocence Project of Texas, working with our Innocence Project uh, uh, based in New York, started working with the Dallas District Attorney's Office and their Conviction Integrity Unit and reviewed all the cases where uh, they had been resisting uh, requests for DNA testing and reviewed them all. I mean, we literally got the entire prosecutor file, looked at it, reviewed the case. Sometimes when there was no DNA evidence, although uh, in Dallas, as opposed to New York, they were able to find it. That's why there's more exonerations in Dallas than in most states. Um, If we had been able to find the evidence in New York, the way we've discussed before, and when we were searching for it in Barry Gibbs's case, if we could find more of it, uh, New York would have hundreds, hundreds of exonerations. I think any fair-minded person would agree. We just couldn't find the evidence in but so many Didn't of these Dallas cases. go from the county with the highest execution rate to the county with the highest exoneration rate? Just about. Yeah, which is an incredible... Let's think about that for a second, right? And, and what that conviction review unit has meant 
to these people who were, some of them would have been executed. Yeah, could you imagine um, sitting on death row like that? No, you can't imagine. You know no, I don't I'm think saying? anyone can imagine it. Maybe, yeah, you, maybe I, you. I can imagine. You can imagine it, right. But I no one imagine. else that hasn't been there can imagine yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we do the work that we do. So these conviction review units, I believe there's now 24 of them around the country. Right. Well, so, some, some are effective, some are not. Some some are for real and some aren't. But uh, Some are for show. Right, some are for show. But uh, uh, one of the uh, telltale signs is will they bring somebody in to that conviction integrity unit or conviction review unit who has a background as a defense lawyer. Right. That's and, key. Uh, because the cognitive bias is very, very hard. I mean, you know, I do not believe uh, that there are, uh, you know, most prosecutors, I think it's a rare, rare exception, you know, actually get up in the morning and say, I'm not going to convict an innocent person. I don't, you know, I don't think that really happens. But I think what does happen is, you know, you get what they call hard-charging people who lose track of uh, uh, playing by the rules or the humanity of the defendants or the gravity of their responsibilities. That can happen. And uh, it's a question of, you know, cognitive bias, right? You, you have to change the whole orientation of how prosecutors look at their job. And by the way, you know, overwhelmed uh, institutional defenders, Right. You know, you have so many cases, you begin to look at them and go, well, you know, I got to get through my docket. Right. And every case looks the same, you know, and you don't put in the effort because you can't. And you don't have the money to 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 hire the type of people that you would need to go and prove. Whereas the government can parade out a forensic thing or the scientists we saw it again in making a murderer. Um, I just had two two more questions I wanted to ask you. One, uh, you know, back to the prosecutors. So we need to have, as Vanessa was saying, a higher standard or, or a better way of evaluating prosecutors uh, so that they are more uh, uh, driven to, to achieve results that are based in fact, let's just call it that, as opposed to achieve, achieving convictions, to, ach- to achieve justice as opposed to convictions. But we also need, in my view, we need to have a much stronger system of uh, a, a prosecuting prosecutor, holding prosecutors accountable. Uh, in this country, as far as I know, you know, we've had, uh, with all the prosecutorial misconduct we've seen um, throughout the decades, there's only really been two cases of any prosecutors being held accountable in a way that that, that winds them up, that lands them up in jail. Barry, can you just speak for a second about the uh, the prosecutorial misconduct and how they can be held accountable? What kind of changes have to be made? for these guys to be thrown out or thrown in jail? Well, uh, there's some simple things that might be done. Um, One is that the Justice Department could bring prosecutions when we find out years later that uh, a prosecutor engaged in deliberate misconduct that led to the conviction of an innocent person intentionally deprived them of their civil rights. Uh, the problem that we've had in the past is when we go to the Department of Justice and say, look, we have DNA evidence, we have all kinds of evidence that showed that somebody was deliberately framed. This prosecutor should be prosecuted. They say to us, look, the statute of limitations under federal law is five years. And it's very hard to conjure an ongoing conspiracy to conceal it in most of these cases. So there would be no jurisdiction for the federal government to do that. Um, It's possible to amend uh, the laws. uh, So I think that might make a big difference. Uh, The other aspect is that there has to be a concerted effort to hold lawyers to their ethical responsibilities. 
Um, one of the things we found is that even in bar discipline, uh, there are statute of limitations problems, and the bar discipline system does not take seriously those prosecutors, uh, you know, who break the rules, and frankly, the defense lawyers who simply, you know, have given up and are just collecting checks and are not providing effective, effective assistance of counsel. And so one of the things we have to do is change that system so that people take that seriously. Um, uh, they can lose their licenses. Uh, they can actually be prosecuted in the most egregious of cases. And if that happens, I think that, uh, you know, you will begin to see change. And we, have to, we can't talk past each other and we can't uh, uh, say, you know, demonize. You know, it's not all prosecutors uh, that, uh, uh, you know, are engaged in this kind of conduct. Far from it. No, it, there's, it's a lot just, of, there's a lot of good guys out there. We yeah. know that, and, and I've always admired that the fact that you managed to keep your sanity through all the things that you've gone through with these, these crazy cases and the people you've had to deal with. Um, so before we wrap up, Barry, uh, what can you share with us? You served 19 years in prison for something you didn't do. Your, uh, your, your presence always lights up a room. You know, I know that uh, when, when you, you all can't see him through the radio, but when you're uh, at the Innocence Project dinner, I know I always look forward to seeing you. Same here. Um, he's uh, uh, he he Barry is a guy. He's uh, I don't even know how to describe him, but he's just a larger than life character who is uh, you know who 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 really drives us and really motivates us to want to do more. You know, when we meet somebody like you, who's just uh, got an incredible spirit. And, uh, you know, who has overcome so much and been and, and really served the country honorably and done so much, you know, good. Um, it's, it's a fantastic. Uh, I suffer to this us. day, you know, because you took me out of a beautiful home. You threw me into the military. I did a good life for a few years. I had a beautiful life. And this happens to me and you throw me in jail. Do you really expect me? to feel like other people, I doubt it. I'll never feel that way, you know? I, I've been through therapy. I've, you know, I've, I've been through a lot just to survive. I mean, I, I was in the hospital. I was messed up. I thought I was going to die. I'm here. I've been saved. I don't know why. I, I got angels around me. If I need a parking spot, it's there for me. You know, like, I don't know what it is. You know what I'm saying? And those are my That's angels that are, answer, right? those are my angels that are around me. But the Innocence Project to me is more than just a family. There are hearts, you know, there are hearts. Don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. And I'm a proud donor to the Innocence Project, and I really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions. Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast 
is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.